Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look at racism in football, this following a statement on racism by FIFA president Gianni Infantino, urging football bodies, leagues and clubs to apply harsh sanctions and a zero-tolerance approach to racism. There have been a lot of cases of racism in the game of late, so what needs to be done to tackle racism in football and can it be eradicated? We hear from fans in Ghana. Eradication is, a, is, is not a realistic word, if you ask me, because, uh, you know, racism has always been woven in the uh, fabric of society. Also, lots on the stunning UEFA Champions League game between Manchester City and Tottenham. But we start with reaction to the Africa Cup of Nations draw. The draw for the 2019 finals in Egypt was made at a spectacular ceremony in Cairo in front of the pyramids with a host of African football legends there. There's excitement here in Zimbabwe as the Warriors have been drawn in Group A with the hosts Egypt, DR Congo and Uganda. And Zimbabwe will play Egypt in the opening match on the 21st of June in Cairo. South Africa have a very tough group with Morocco, Ivory Coast and Namibia. Cameroon and Ghana are in an all-West African group along with Benin and Guinea-Bissau. Newcomers Madagascar and Burundi are in Group B alongside Nigeria and Guinea. Senegal have a pretty good group with Algeria, Kenya and Tanzania. Group E has Tunisia, Mali, Mauritania and Angola. Now remember this is an expanded tournament with 24 teams for the first time and there will be a round of 16 for the first time as the four best third place teams progress along with the top two in each group. So it will be easier to get out of the group stage this time around. Uh, so, Solomon, you're in South Africa. Uh, what's the group of death? Is it uh, Group D with South Africa, Morocco, Ivory Coast and Namibia? Group D definitely seems like the group of death. We're, we're looking at teams that have, had, that have had like lots of experience in the past. You know, in between them, South Africa had been to the World Cup. Morocco was just at the World Cup recently and Ivory Coast had been to the World Cup back-to-back -back and had produced some great players. Uh, Ivory Coast is in the time of, uh, you know, really rebuilding and consolidating on what they had achieved with the error of Didier Drogba and the Tory brothers. I think Morocco is, is experiencing in some sort of a resurgence. You know, you could easily say maybe Ivory Coast, Morocco tip to go through. But you cannot just discard South Africa and definitely Namibia is going to be in there as a spoiler. But it's, it's going to be a great tournament and uh, trust me, I feel this is uh, definitely the tournament that a lot of football fans are going to look forward to. One of these tournaments again, especially with the 2014 format, I think it's going to be one of these uh, tournaments that uh, you know is going to be exciting. More games to watch, more goals hopefully and also more upsets and, and maybe we see uh, you know something different and experience something different. Oh yes, it should be a great tournament. We asked for your reaction to the draw on social media uh, with a voice note to his Hassan Raisilla in Sierra Leone. Um, it's not difficult for Egypt. It's not difficult. It's not that too much difficult for Egypt. But the, the group of death is Group D. Egypt, that group is not that too much difficult for them. Uh, thanks there, Hassan. And agreeing is Cherno Jallo in the Gambia. I see Group D as the group of death. 
the group which comprises of South Africa, Morocco, Ivory Coast, and Namibia. However, I will take Egypt and DRC to go through in Group A, Nigeria and Guinea in Group B, Senegal and Algeria to progress in Group C, Morocco and Ivory Coast in Group D, Tunisia and Mali to go through in Group E, and Cameroon and Ghana to progress in Group F. Furthermore, I believe South Africa, Guinea-Bissau, Angola and Zimbabwe will make it through to the second round as the third best in their respective pools. However, I will take Egypt as the host to win the trophy. Uh, thanks for that overview there to Cherno Jallo. Now on Facebook, Junior Moyes in Zambia says all the groups are balanced because all of the teams that fought their way to the finals beat bigger teams. For me, Group A is the most interesting, says Junior. Ablio Cisse in the Gambia says Group D will indeed be a difficult one for all four teams there, but I'm closely watching the Taranga Lions of Senegal and the Desert Foxes of Algeria. I hope history doesn't repeat itself as they were in the same group last time, which was to the detriment of the Senegalese, says Abli, adding, I can't wait for the finals. Also in the Gambia, Julan Ding Jaune says, Yes, I believe Group D is the group of death. Where you have Morocco, Cote d'Ivoire and South Africa, it will be very interesting and difficult to predict with those teams playing each other. On WhatsApp, Francisco Dodoma in Malawi says, Remember that all these teams fought a good fight to reach this level. I anticipate tough games ahead, says Francisco. However, I do see the main battle in each group between the top two teams with the higher seedings. Uh, well, that's if you can believe uh, that the FIFA rankings are accurate, uh, of course. Uh, Firmus Korea in the Gambia says Nigeria seemed to be having an easier group, but this is football. We all saw in the qualifiers how teams struggled to make it, so all the groups are tough. I'm hoping to see the Africa Cup of Nations kick off in grand style, says Firmus. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, to Uganda, Arena Itwe Emi says, These groups are the hardest I've ever seen. Many have two or three giants with one underdog. Surely the small teams will need a miracle to get past the group stages. Egypt looks strong in Group A, and then for Group D, surely it is the group of death. There's no team there you can underestimate, and we may see a lot of draws in that group, says Arena Itwe. Mustafa Touray in the Gambia says, Certainly I believe Egypt has a fair draw. They can make it through to the knockout stages. And yes, Group D is the group of death, says Mustafa. Joachim Mudanga in Uganda is disappointed. My country, Uganda, has to struggle with Egypt and the DRC. And then Kenya and Tanzania are the most likely to drop out of the teams in their groups, says Joachim. It's like the draw wanted East Africa to get done early. Ham Saidara in the Gambia says, For sure, Cameroon and Ghana are in the group of death in Group F. The other sides alongside those are Benin and Guinea-Bissau. Amadou Baji in the Gambia also says Group F is the group of death, saying Guinea-Bissau can make an upset. They're doing great in African football at the moment, says Amadou. Although my little Gambia is out, my four teams to support are Guinea-Bissau, Senegal, Guinea and Egypt. Obina in Nigeria says it's a comfortable draw for the pharaohs of Egypt, considering they have Mo Salah and other good players, and they'll be playing in front of their home fans. It's also a comfortable draw for the Super Eagles of Nigeria, but these supposed easy draws can be a potential banana skin for these great sides. This is football, and anything can happen, says Obina. On paper, though, it's the pharaohs of Egypt, the Taranga Lions of Senegal, or the Super Eagles of Nigeria to take the trophy, says Obina. 
Dan Ogega is in Kenya. Egypt couldn't have wished for a better draw, says Dan. They face familiar foes from their World Cup qualifying campaign in Uganda and decent opponents in DR Congo. They should prevail. Nigeria has a very easy group on paper. I feel whoever comes out of Group D can go all the way, says Dan. And finally, Masane Kinta in the Gambia says Group D is the toughest. Elsewhere, I think Ghana and Cameroon should make it to the knockout stage. I think Egypt will come out top in Group A, but they won't find it easy. In Group B, Nigeria should treat every game as a final if they want to qualify. And in Group E, I'm expecting Tunisia and Mali to go through, but Mauritania could be the surprise package. It is football. Let's expect the unexpected, says Manasse. Yes, indeed. Thanks so much for all of those comments. And if we didn't get to read out yours, I do accept our apologies. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programmes too in our archive. To download, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. You can listen to on our New Look website, that's planetsport.tv. Our other shows are there too, that's Planet Sport and the Planet Sport Rugby Podcast. And that's on our New Look website, planetsport.tv. Well, now to the Under-17 Africa Cup of Nations in Tanzania. Eight teams are competing and the four that make it through to the semi-finals qualify for the FIFA Under-17 World Cup. Uh, Nigeria and Cameroon have already achieved that. In Group A, Nigeria top with six points from two games, Angola and Uganda on three points and Tanzania the host not looking good. Uh, no points so far. Hard to see them going through. Uh, in Group B, Cameroon have six points, a Guinea on three points. Morocco and Senegal are still very much in the race there. Guinea beat Senegal in their second group match and uh, the group games conclude over the weekend. Then on to the semi-finals and the final. More on the Under-17 Nations Cup on next week's show. And the CAF Champions League is down to the semi-final stage now. The first legs are on next weekend. The 2017 champions Widad Casablanca of Morocco take on Sundowns of South Africa and the holders Esperance of Tunisia take on TP Mazembe of DR Congo. Uh, Sundowns knocked out the eight-time champions Al Athli of Egypt to 5-1 on aggregate, uh, losing the second leg 1-0 in Egypt, but uh, the damage had already been done. TP Mazembe knocked out to Tanzania's Simba 4-1 on aggregate. Esperance 6-3 aggregate winners over Constantine of Algeria who did really well to get to the quarterfinals along with Simba and Widad Casablanca beat Horoya 5-0 in the second leg after a goalless first leg. We're now to the issue of racism in football, which has been a hot issue of late. Following several well-publicised incidents, FIFA president Gianni Infantino has issued a statement urging football bodies, leagues and clubs to apply harsh sanctions and a zero-tolerance approach to racism. Racism has no place in football, said Infantino. In recent days, it's been very sad to see a number of racist incidents in football. This really is not acceptable. Infantino urged all football bodies to adopt the so-called three-step procedure, which allows referees to stop, suspend or abandon games because of racist chanting. This is already in use in Britain and in all FIFA and UEFA competitions. And Infantino's statement continued saying, racism needs to end full stop. 
Uh, so a very strong statement from FIFA, but is the issue really being dealt with effectively? Can it be eradicated? And is there progress being made? Back in 2013, FIFA announced new measures to combat racism. UEFA has also promised to get tough, but uh, is it going to end? Our reporter in Ghana, Betty Yawson, spoke to fans in Accra. Racism, although a condemnable act, has over the years grown to be a part of the beautiful game football. Many players have been racially abused because of their skin color, nationality or ethnicity, a disturbing act that has caught the attention of many football stakeholders. I asked some football fans in Accra, Ghana, if they think anything is changing in terms of tackling racism in football. I really support the calls by the UEFA authorities, you know, backed by FIFA in a recent statement, Gianni Infantino calling for stiffer measures. Uh, this is a good time to, you know, as it were, make a bold statement to the fans who are in the stadium to watch the games by walking off the pitch if, if necessary, because in recent times we, we have witnessed two black players you know, racially abused, uh, most notably Juventus forward Moise Keane and also Raheem Sterling, who doesn't think that it's proper to call the game off or walk off the pitch because you, you would have allowed the fans to win. But I sharply disagree. Uh, I, I completely disagree. I think that it's proper to enforce stricter sanctions uh, or enforce or resort to the use of stiffer measures because the fans are there primarily to enjoy the game. So if for one or two, three times they are, you know, they are starved of the game, denied of the match, you know, which is abandoned, they would learn a few lessons from uh, these, you know, stricter measures or procedures that uh, are being enforced. And I, I, racism, I don't think that it can be stemmed out fully from the game, but it can be controlled. And it's, it's you know, heavily dependent on whether or not uh, the powers that be will give uh, these stiff procedures is full backing. You don't think it can be eradicated from the game? Eradication is a is, is not a realistic word, if you ask me, because uh, you know racism has always been woven in the uh, fabric of society. I think yes, the clubs are doing their their bit, but it has to be a collective effort. I think the the, the major stakeholders collectively must come together and fight racism. I don't think there is something we can do away with. It happens in our homes, it happens domestically, it happens um, in our offices, uh, day in and day out, every step of the way racism exists. But when when it happens to the footballers, when it happens to innocent footballers who in line are doing their, their normal duties or performing their normal job or work, then it becomes a bit worrisome. But there are bad nuts all over the world who will always go to the stadium to to cause mayhem so it will be difficult to completely eradicate this but i think the best we can do is to punish people who flout the law when we we talk about racism obviously i'm looking at it from a sociological point of view and i've said that people who were born in a certain society and who had viewed people of color in a certain way obviously uh, would have that you know innate behavior towards people like that and so it becomes extremely difficult for them to weave themselves away from, um, you know, discriminating against people with color. And so these people have also grown to be parts of the sports that we both love, football, um, tennis, you know, baseball, basketball, and the rest. And so they still have that same behavior in them. 
Um, I know that over the years, uh, FIFA has tried, you know, to get it out by way of imposing some you know, sanctions and punishment on football fans and you know club owners or players who go to the extent of you know discriminating against people um, with colour racially. Um, it's a difficult thing. Like I did say, it's it's an innate or inborn behaviour uh, which has grown in a certain society where people were born or grew up in. And so if you want to take that thing away, I think that we have to go back into our own societies and begin to look at it from that point of view. The sports can with itself. What FIFA obviously is trying to do is that, yes, you can give somebody a live ban depending on how the person behaved. You can also ban certain fans from attending matches because of that attitude. But again, the most um, difficult aspect of it is that uprooting the racial behavior or the racial attitude from the individuals is one thing that FIFA will struggle to do. But in terms of, you know, putting up measures that will deter people from, you know, going that length or perhaps behaving that way, yes, FIFA has done a lot, um, coming up with laws, you know, on racism, uh, making sure that players abide by certain regulations, you know, advertising at a stadium, you know, to ensure that people understand what racism was all about. The UN has also come in with a lot of programs to also, you know, educate people about it and also to move us away from it. But I would say that um, once people have grown with that behavior, uh, you can look at it from the sports, but does that mean that they have changed totally as individuals? Fans in Accra, Ghana, speaking to Betty Yawson. Let's go to Stuart Weir in the UK now. Uh, Stuart, is this statement from Gianni Infantino going to make any difference? Uh, There are anti-racism football organisations there in the UK, but uh, can they succeed in dealing with the problem? Well, football is a reflection of society, so you cannot simply deal with racism in football. You need to deal with it in society as well. The Britain that I grew up in Uh, certainly racism was very widespread. I think modern society, uh, we have made it illegal and hopefully we will see that more reflecting in sport. Um, As you say, there are organisations and since uh, 97, there's been an organisation called Kick It Out, which is a campaigning organisation which seeks to enable communities. It works with uh, football clubs, authorities, fans, players, to tackle all forms of discrimination and they have two black former footballers on their board but even they come in for criticism on one occasion it was agreed that all players would wear a kick it out t-shirt in their warm-ups but Manchester United's Rio Ferdinand himself a black footballer refused to wear the t-shirt saying that he was critical of kick it out and felt they weren't doing enough The other thing which has been discussed is punishments for racism by spectators. Up until now, that has normally been punished by a fine or by ordering the team to play a game behind closed doors. Usually the fines are a few thousand dollars, meaningless in the context of the amount of money in football. And banning all spectators from seeing their team because of the behaviour of a small number seems patently unfair. Uh, There's also been talk about players walking off the pitch or the manager taking the team off. But Raheem Sterling of Manchester City, a black player who's been really very articulate on this subject, has said that if you stop the game and walk off, then the racists have won. Racism is totally unacceptable, and I believe the football authorities are really committed to tackling it. The problem is finding the best and most satisfactory and fair way of dealing with it. 
Yeah, sure. And uh, Solomon, do you think that racism in football will ever be stamped out? Football and racism would uh, never be, be stamped out totally, Steve. I, I think the racism would exp- we experience in football, in stadiums, uh, football fans attacking uh, coaches, attacking uh, players uh, of color, uh, black players, Asian players, uh, attacking them on social media, uh, attacking them with monkey noises and 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 all sort of uh, you know attack. I, I feel it's a reflection of the society that we live in. How can we really? as a society, begin to deal with these issues in society. And we have to set up penalties that, you know, football fans that use this uh, medium, uh, football, the platform to, to create racial attacks and, and racial abuse, and, you know, need to be dealt with accordingly and, and really need to be punished. I think we need to make a statement. FIFA needs to be able to create some sort of penalty that the team is going to be penalized or the, play, or the fans are going to be penalized in such a way that, you know, you would think twice before making uh, that, that sort of remark. But at the end of the day, it reflects the kind of society that we live in, sadly. But how can we individually, how can we as a society begin to deal with this uh, problem that has been raving for a very long time? Thanks, Solomon. So Stuart and Solomon both saying that racism in football is a reflection of racism in society. As Solomon is in favour of stiff penalties. Asking for your views on this on social media this week, what can be done to tackle racism in football? So there's been a strong statement from the FIFA president Gianni Infantino. But there have been a lot of cases of racism in the game of late, uh, cases of racism on social media as well, abusing footballers. So what do you think needs to be done to tackle racism in football? and can it be eradicated you can post a comment on our facebook page that's planet sport football africa or send us a whatsapp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero that's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero well, let's go to the UEFA Champions League now. And, uh, wow, what a game on Wednesday. Uh, Stuart, many are saying that Man City's 4-3 win over Tottenham was the greatest ever game in the UEFA Champions League. Well, Steve, there has certainly never been a Champions League game with five goals in the first 20 minutes. And, I mean, that coming after a KG 1-0 in the first leg. The Manchester City-Tottenham Hotspur game simply had everything. And whatever you think about the away goals rule and whatever you think about VAR, there is no doubt that both add to the drama. So on Wednesday night, Raheem Sterling took just four minutes to cancel out Tottenham's first leg lead. So it seemed that Manchester City were back in the driving seat. Then Son scored two goals in three minutes meaning that Manchester City, according to the away goals rule, needed to score three more times to win the tie. But incredibly, by the 60th minute, Manchester City were winning 4-2 and on course for the semi-finals. Then Florenti scored for Tottenham with an indeterminate part of his body. Was it his hand? Was it his arm? Was it his hip? Was it his head? And after a nervous pause, VAR confirmed that the goal should stand. But there was more drama to come. In stoppage time, Raheem Sterling took a pass from Sergio Aguero to score a fifth goal for Manchester City and seemingly put them through. But VAR ruled that Aguero had been offside when he received the ball and made the pass. What a game and what a finish. Afterwards, Pep Guardiola questioned whether the VAR decision on the handball was correct. But at the end of the day, City conceded three goals at home 
and simply did not defend well enough. And if you didn't get enough of City and Tottenham, they play again in the Premier League on Saturday lunchtime. In the other ties, Manchester United hit the bar in the first minute against Barcelona, but afterwards were simply overrun, losing 3-0. Liverpool, as expected, completed a victory over Porto, with Mo Salah and Sadio Mane scoring. And yes, Mane had to wait for VAR to award his goal. Ajax of Amsterdam pulled off the shock of the week, beating Juventus 2-1 in Italy. Cameroon's Andre Onana and the two Moroccans, Hakim Zizek and Nuzir Mazrui were involved in the game. Ajax would seem to be the weakest of the four semi-finalists, but how can you say that about a team which in the last two rounds has gone to Madrid and beaten Real Madrid and gone to Italy and beaten Juventus? So now we know that the semi-finals will be Tottenham Hotspur against Ajax and Liverpool against Barcelona, and I, for one, can't wait. Oh yes, and the first legs are on the 30th of this month and on the 1st of May. And Stuart, in the English Premier League, Liverpool and Man City both getting maximum points last weekend. Yeah, Liverpool beat Chelsea with Mo Salah and Sadio Mane scoring. But apart from Chelsea, the other five in the top six all won, which incidentally now means that for the third year running, the same six clubs will finish in the top six places. I just wish I knew what the order was going to be. Manchester United are at home to Manchester City Wednesday of the coming week. And I think that is actually the crucial game of the rest of the season. Because unless Manchester City win, Liverpool will be in the driving seat for the Premier League Championship. On the other hand, unless Manchester United win, they will be in grave danger of missing out on Champions League football next season. And on Saturday... Manchester City are at home to Tottenham. And how will the marathon Champions League ties affect how that game is played out? Who knows? And you know, Steve, no matter how much I study Tottenham, Arsenal, Manchester United and Chelsea's last four fixtures, I cannot have any certainty which of the teams will finish in the top four and which won't. At the bottom of the table, it's been a disastrous week for Brighton who lost 5-0 at home to Bournemouth last weekend and then 2-0 at home to Cardiff City in midweek, meaning that Brighton are now just two points ahead of Cardiff in the fight to avoid relegation. Brighton are frankly in free fall, having lost their last five games without scoring while conceding 12 goals. And if you look at Brighton's games against the bottom six clubs, it's really quite instructive. They took one point from Fulham, one from Southampton, none from Bournemouth, Burnley and Cardiff. So it's those games that are proving to be vital for them. They're away to Wolves this coming weekend. And we have to say as well, if Chelsea had not been allowed a blatantly offside goal when Cardiff were leading 1-0 a couple of weeks ago, with just about 10 minutes to go, Cardiff would now be ahead of Brighton and out of the bottom three. So it's either Cardiff or Brighton going down, along with the already relegated Huddersfield and Fulham. And what else have you got for us there, Stuart? We talked about penalties a couple of weeks ago. And in the 88-89 season, exactly 30 years ago, seven defenders between them scored 17 penalties in the top division. This season, no defender has scored a penalty. Steve, 
It is official. Footballers are getting taller. If you look at the period from 1888 when the league started to 1980, only one player taller than 1 metre 96 played in the English Football League. But this season, in the Premier League and Football League, there are 80 players of that height. And incidentally, the tallest is Gillingham's Czech goalkeeper, Thomas Holly, at 2 metres and 6 centimetres. Jurgen Klopp, the Liverpool manager, was previously manager of Borussia Dortmund. But remarkably, he is one of five former Dortmund coaches who have worked in English football this season. David Wagner was manager of Huddersfield Town for most of the season and his successor, Jan Seward. Then there's Paul Lambert at Ipswich Town and Daniel Falke at Norwich City. All of those former Dortmund coaches. How strange is that? Finally, Steve, when Tottenham beat Huddersfield, Lucas Mora scored three goals. And the Tottenham number 27, for his first goal, took the ball past Stanovic, Huddersfield's number 27. And of course, the goal came in the 27th minute. <laughs> also quite a coincidence there. Well, thanks, Stuart. So in the English Premier League, the big games this weekend, Manchester City, Tottenham doing battle again. That's on Saturday. Liverpool away to Cardiff on Sunday. Also on Sunday, Arsenal, Crystal Palace and Manchester United away to Everton. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare from Solomon Ashams in South Africa and from Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.